Hello and welcome to CAA Conversation. My name is Bobby Chu, and today we have Alexandra and Kurt with their conversation topic addressing institutionalized discrimination through artistic practice. Alexandra Thomas is a PhD student at Yale for History of Art and African American Study with a certificate in Women's Gender and Sexuality Study. Her current research interests include global modern and contemporary art, Black Atlantic visual culture, African art, queer theory, performance study, and Black feminist thought. Kurt Mayat is a mixed media artist born in Brooklyn, New York in 1993. He received his BS in visual art education from Andrews University in 2014 and is currently an MFA student at New Jersey City University. A second-generation Guyanese-American, Mena's work focusing on the political undercurrent of culture and identity in America. Welcome, Alexandra and Kurt. You guys may take over. Mm. Thank you for bringing us here. Um, and so it's, it's really nice to kind of like have a space to speak about the issues that are very important, especially now with not just the midterm elections coming up, but in a very politically charged atmosphere that we're presenting not just our work, but our practices on, whether it's through writing, whether it's through artistic practice. And so, um, Alexandra, I just wanted to speak about um, some of the issues that you deal with in your work, um, especially when it comes to black feminist uh, theories of flesh. And I was um, very grateful to have gone to a conference with you um, at um, Black New England Conference in University of New Hampshire, where you kind of like discuss the idea of biopolitics and you know some of these theories. I was wondering if you could go into it in a little bit um, more detail and just kind of like um, just explain some of the focus in your work because it was really interesting conversation that we had. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> First, hi Kirk and hi Bobby. Thank you for. Um, letting me talk with you guys today. Um, yeah, so Black Feminist Theories of Flesh is um, a project that I worked on um, for about a year and a half in which I'm looking at Black women's self-portraiture that um, is making interventions on the history of science and the history of art in the West. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so flesh is a term that comes from Horten Black Feminist Theorists, Hortense Spillers, and it's really thinking about like the materiality of the body. So I'm very interested in um, um, like the black body and how it's represented in the in Western art and how that's linked to like scientific racism and theories of um, yeah anthropology and ethnography. And I think that um, in a lot of ways our um, our interests, Kirk, you and I, like our interests overlap. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked your presentation, and I think that um, I'm always thinking about how, like, contemporary art can respond to community and not be something that just exists in the, in the, in the, in the white cube of the gallery, you know? Yes, I agree. So I'm very, I'm really excited to talk to you more about this today. Yeah, definitely. When I was actually thinking about that, onto your point of work not just existing in the gallery, I think that, you know, breaking down those institutions are very important. Um, 
because uh, um, currently I'm actually presenting um, my work dealing with housing discrimination, particularly in my community center right here in Orange, New Jersey, where I live. And it's very relevant, you know, the idea and the system of redlining and living in a low socioeconomic area. You know, a lot of people who are part of that aren't necessarily people who are plugged into the art community. And so I found that I had to bring it to the people instead of kind of like, you know, putting it in some institution. You know, I've always felt that art should be more presented, you know, in that public sphere and not just kind of like in the confines, whether it's in the confines of a gallery or even in the confines of a museum. And so it was very kind of like a crucial evolution of my practice to make it more widespread to everyone. Yeah, that's, I think that's really amazing. <clears throat> I think even, I consider myself to be somebody who kind of does Black feminist um, critical museum studies. Mm -hmm. So while I'm somebody who works in museums, like you, I'm very just, <laughs> very critical mm -hmm. of museums and just how much they cost and how mm -hmm. most of these, and now that museums are collecting a lot of Black art, you have these like, giant like New York City museums with like tons of wonderful black art yeah. that the people in the community can't afford to mm -hmm. get into and visit mm -hmm. and even if they could afford it it's like often not even a welcoming space for people mm -hmm. so I think what you're doing is great to kind mm -hmm. of bring the art to the community and I think a lot of there's also like a, a strong history of um, mostly white artists opening studio studios and gentrified neighborhoods for cheap mm -hmm. rent and how there's these ways that like art is brought to communities of color in a way that just adds to gentrification and just further yeah it, it's further inaccessible in another way so for you to be actually part of this community and bringing art to it mm -hmm. is just is really great because mm -hmm. there's definitely like problematic ways that could occur Mm -hmm. And I was actually just thinking about like the idea of art and what is valuable because I was recently um, well, I'm reading an article um, and in Chicago, uh, I believe it was the Chicago Public Library sold off one of Kerry James Marshall's work. Um, Kerry James Marshall, one of his works um, was sold off and it was really interesting to kind of listen to it because what a lot of people are saying and I'm always like on Twitter kind of like reading what, you know, activists are saying is when what they were saying is that, you know, he is part of that community. Like, why don't you sell off an art from, you know, someone, you know, maybe a Andy Warhol, you know, who is not part of that mm -hmm. community, sell off a, a different type of work. But you're choosing the work of Kerry James Marshall to sell off. And all that is for you, all that work amounts for you is like money. When Kerry James Marshall himself wanted to be something that he gave back to the community, to be in the community. And so that devaluation of black art and Kerry James Marshall said that he didn't want his work to be sold off. But of course, you know, once it was out of his hands, he had no control over that. And so that devaluing of black art is also something that's very big in the public sphere and what we do with that art, whether we choose to keep it for posterity or whether it's just a bargaining chip. In a lot of places, it, that's what it becomes. And it's kind of like, you know, it's crucial to have, you know, artists and, of course, art historians such as yourself, you know, speaking about these issues. Yeah, <clears throat> completely. And I think that um, one of the things that's really tough and is just like a product of the art market is we're kind of in a moment where a lot of people, a lot of white collectors are buying contemporary black art. And... <laughs> 
buying them for millions and millions of dollars. And it seems like there's this difficult moment for Black artists where um, either they've sold work in the past, like Carrie James Marshall did, and then years later, now it's worth millions and people are trying to sell it to make a profit. Or these artists are being at, like, for example, Julie Murray, too, who's an Ethiopian lesbian artist, mm-hmm. um, has had issues because she does commissions in banks. And for someone who's, <laughs> who's not from a wealthy background, mm-hmm. it's like you have to decide on, like, what commissions you want to do based yeah. on, you know, like, you're trying to keep your morals, but then also recognizing that, like, Black artists, like, often are struggling financially and, like, need yeah. the money, Absolutely. So I think it's really tough how the market itself doesn't make it easier for anybody. And it's, like, yeah, it's really difficult because it's, like, it's, it's really exciting because it seems like everybody is in this, like, moment now where, like, the museums are buying up tons of Black art. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's so, it's just really, prob- it's really problematic. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of next steps for, like, you know, museums and galleries, where do you think they should go in terms of, like, advancing their practice outside of just, you know, not just buying the work, because, of course, you know, the black art is in, but not just that, but, like, also advocating for the work of Mm -hmm. black artists, you know, how do they do that with the community? Or how have you seen it done that has been successful? Yeah, I think that, um, I can't say I've seen it done yet. That's mm-hmm. something that I'm definitely still working on. But I really, well, first off, I believe that, like, art historians and curators need to really stop the kind of, like, harmful idea that you can separate the few famous, successful Black contemporary artists from mm-hmm. the Black people in their communities. Yeah, Because there are people in the arts world who could talk for hours and say just eloquent, wonderful things about Black art, but then not actually have any connection with the actual Black people who might live down the street Mm. from their museum. So I think that we definitely need to make museums um, accessible spaces Mm. for like Black communities to come into Mm. and comfortable spaces where we value um, the knowledge that Black folks in the community are also bringing to the table about the art. I think it's really, um, as an art historian, I definitely tried to also do the work of decentering myself and realizing that, like, I don't hold all the knowledge about Black art mm-hmm. and that, like, the everyday Black person who might not even have a relationship to art history has, like, meaningful insights about Black art that often people don't feel like they have, like, an authority on it. But, like, they totally do, especially if you see people who look like you in this art, like, they have a right to kind of take part in, like, an institutional discussion on what it means to them. And I think also just realizing that um, there's a lot, there's a lot of Black artists other than the kind of, like, few main Black contemporary artists who museums are collecting right now. Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be more um, focus on kind of, like, building community outside of um, the, with like folks from like HBCUs and folks who are currently in their MFA programs, all different kinds of schools, instead of these kind of like 
um, instead of curators kind of just watching and saying like, oh, MoMA did a show on this artist, I'm going to collect mm-hmm. something from them, and really like doing the work of like branching out and meeting yeah. all the, I think art historians are really, are, are harmful in this way too, because often we don't actually talk to living artists. Yeah, we tend to not. We tend to not um talk to a living artist unless we go to like one of their lectures or something Mm -hmm. and even like mfa students Mm -hmm. and art history students often aren't even in the same spaces kind of building together but i think that people like you and me from the the making side and the theorizing side Mm -hmm. um are the ones who kind of have to come together Mm -hmm. and be like look like we can't do the elitist stuff anymore. We've got to bring people from the community into these spaces, yeah. and we have to just have like a just the flatter structure mm-hmm. um, for talking about art mm-hmm. that doesn't privilege um, even like privileging um, degrees mm-hmm. over people who mm-hmm. um, might not be like linked to the academy at all. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And actually, you know, I was while you were speaking there, I was thinking, you know, to myself about my own education in art and how you know when i was first beginning with my um art education a lot of the artists that i read in the book were not just you know artists who were you know gone but like it was very eurocentric you know white artists you know that was always the focus you know and Mm -hmm. by the time that i had to teach because i've um, taught k-12 before i had to throw away half of the art text art history textbook because most of the artists in there were not artists that were the same race of the students that I taught. They weren't related mm-hmm. to the students that I taught. I, I, um, I taught in Newark, New Jersey, um, mostly minority neighborhood. And so I had to learn for myself the artists of color. I had to learn about more Hispanic artists outside of Frida Kahlo. You know, I had to learn about more, mm-hmm. you know, black artists, you know, outside of Romare Bearden, you know, about mm-hmm. the central ones. And so the, the fascinating part of that is that while the students were learning, I had to learn along with them when it shouldn't be that way. I have to, you know, I should be the one, you know, with all these, the knowledge of these artists of color ahead of time provided for me, but it wasn't provided for me. I had to search out for that. And it just shows you kind of like the institutions, you know, that hold up, you know, what art is valuable, usually hold up the art from, you know, the West when it comes to, you know, the European countries such as Italy or France, because, my journey was a lifelong journey of having to learn for myself about artists of color, especially living artists of color, like you were speaking about. And so the system itself, down to kind of like, even like the art teachers has to change from like the K to 12 level. We have to rethink, you know, who we're teaching students about when it comes to art, you know? And just kind of like in that space, I think once you get in that space of just the, you know, the younger students, you know, the younger kids, it has to branch out from there because that eventually determines who we hold in high esteem when you come when you're talking about these institutions such as galleries and museums. Exactly. You're so right. I definitely see this as somebody who's um, an African-American studies and art history PhD student. So I kind of have like these two worlds, it's like one world in African-American studies where mm-hmm. like everybody's kind of dedicated to this work. And then I'm when I'm with my field, the history of art, it's often it's often really, really challenging because as you said, um, for a lot of theorists in our history, um, when they think artists, it's default 
white European man just default automatically that and I think that people in the field are just really really like um tied to that and they think there's no other way to do art history than to do that and a lot will like throw a few artists of color on the syllabus at the end and just not really like fully engage with them or they'll like teach um, a certain art movement and pretend that artists of color weren't even involved in that moment or speaking to them that move that movement in their work which there always have been artists of mm-hmm. color and, and at least like, people of color being depicted in work by um, white European artists <clears throat> so yeah I think that there needs to be a lot of um, of reframing like the syllabi the syllabi that we use and like the canon itself because um it's just not fair I mean right now I'm teaching um I teach at the at the art gallery right now Mm -hmm. so it's k through 12 students who come in and they're only here for about an hour and I basically said to the people I teach with that I'm just not gonna only teach white man artists Mm -hmm. I just cannot only teach white men artists and I've um haven't really gotten much pushback for that Mm -hmm. But it's definitely clear that, like, what I'm doing is, like, an intervention in itself. Because I don't think there was many people before me in this position who were kind of committed to, like, I'm not going to teach. Because it's New Haven, so it's predominantly Black and Latinx children. Yeah. I'm not going to teach them art that erases their own histories and their own import their ancestry and like the histories and their communities mm-hmm. of like creative excellence yeah you know? exactly so i i'm very like clear that like if we teach our george washington john trumbull painting then we are 100 percent going to teach our titus kafar painting mm-hmm. which is like yes. of george washington with like his slave ledgers like shredded mm-hmm. up and like pinned onto the portrait of washington mm-hmm. So it's like and Thomas Je- um, Thomas Jefferson, Sally Hemings too. Yeah, know? exactly. His work is so powerful. Exactly, and you just have to, and it's uncomfortable too because often I'm sure you know, you know this too that as Black people in the arts world, even though there are quite a lot of us now, we're still walking into spaces where we might be the only Black person there, yeah. and it's like we're coming in with this like with just like this heavy heavy like almost like load on our shoulders Mm -hmm. of all this work of representation and like making space, making interventions that we have to do. Mm -hmm. And it could be really like exhausting, like intellectually, emotionally exhausting. And I think that it's like important for those of us doing this work to Mm -hmm. kind of like stick together and like build community because it's kind of the only way to like Mm -hmm. keep doing the the good work. And I think that community is so important. But like you were saying before, it has to kind of like start, you know, with being being into the community and also teaching the community about artists, you know, who are not just white. And when you're speaking, Ram, about like teaching, you know, as a teacher, I've always said that the best way to engage students is teach, you know, work that they're going to be re- be able to relate to. And so there was this artist, um, Tatiana Fazlazeda, who um, created... Um, who created a lot of posters and she's she's a muralist that said stop telling women to smile and it dealt with you know the system of cat calling you know in the street and also kind of like the idea of space and how much space women should get and whether men can intrude on that space and what should the consequences be you know and should that be allowed in our society 
And when I when I presented that work to the students, you know, who I was teaching, they had a great conversation about those issues, right? They got to speak about it because some of them never were able to speak about these issues of social justice and how we treat women in society. They were able to get out their feelings, even if, you know, they didn't have a full understanding of why, you know, catcalling was wrong, right? Because, you know, they just weren't exposed to it. They were still able to work it out, you know, in that classroom and kind of see the other side and see the perspective and think about it in a different way. And so gearing this these social justice topics that a lots of art, you know, artists of color participate in was a way for students to be engaged with the art. You know, I had students who were so engaged with the art that, you know, they went back, you know, to Newark, New Jersey, and a lot in Newark, New Jersey, along MacArthur Highway, there were um, there's a mural that uh, um, the um, city of Newark commissioned for multiple Newark artists, not just Newark artists, but artists across the country to work on li little parts of that highway um, highway brick wall. And so one of the works was by Tatiana Fazlzada. And so they actually went there and kind of like looked at the work and saw it and, you know, spoke to me about it after class. And so they were engaged with the work, but that only happens when they're able to see artists that they can relate to or talk about issues in their own community, whether that's police brutality, whether that, that those are gender issues. And so pushing that conversation forward was a very important part of my own teaching practice. It has to start from that way of bringing to the students work that is relevant to them instead of just you know, teaching the Western canon of art. Yeah, exactly. And I think that for those of us, like you and I, who have taught children about art, I mean, kids are so brilliant, and they're <laughs> so intelligent. And the things they say about art are just, like, so insightful. I've often had, um, I've had similar experiences with getting to have my students um, in the museum um, get into these kinds of like critical discussions about social justice but then also there's what I love is that there's also this room for like experimentation and joy and play so sometimes it's just like my elementary school students like saying how much did this cost how did the museum get this <laughs> yeah. and these kind of silly questions that like adults might not ask at a museum but mm -hmm. actually are pretty crucial questions to ask yeah, you know like how did the museum get this african sculpture <laughs> how mm -hmm. or like how much did this cost you know like when there's like um homeless folks like all around campus but we might be still acquiring like these white male artists works for like millions <laughs> of dollars possibly yeah. so it's like these kind of uncomfortable questions that maybe even you and I might not feel comfortable asking a curator or a museum professional, but mm -hmm. the children will ask it. Mm -hmm. They'll ask. Oh, yes. It's wonderful because they really, I think that um, kids, they know, they kind of know, like, deep inside that, like, obviously they have like a wonderful history and that but it's just it's the job of the teacher to kind of bring that out of them mm -hmm. and to give them these opportunities like you gave them to actually view these works in person too because mm -hmm. it's one thing to have it on a slide yeah and a totally other thing to be able to see like a carrie james marshall in mm -hmm. person and i just think there's thousands maybe millions of like black children across the country who will who might like not see a Carrie James Marshall in person ever, 
or until they're like in college. And I think that for us to like make these interventions for like kids to be able to like look at these works, I think it's just super, it's really healthy. Mm-hmm. I think it's also just incredibly intellectually stimulating for children to be able to like build their own understandings of a work and being able to like bounce ideas off of each other too. And for us to even step back sometimes and let the kids just like work it out because often they'll come to like insightful um, conclusions about a work. Mm-hmm, definitely. And when you're actually you know, thinking about like the idea of, you know, them actually going to see the work, um, when I taught, like that was part of their, you know, extra credit assignment, you know, they had to go see a work and we also went, you know, regardless, it was part of their grade, we actually went out to see the work that was in the community, you know, and the New York Museum was near, um, was near where I taught. And so there was a, lots of opportunities to be able to see. And so museums, you know, on their part, and even galleries, you know, you know, that are a little bit more institutionalized need to have these open forums where they're inviting teachers and K-12 students to come in and see the work, MFA students to come in and see the work. There needs to be a direct pipeline between museums, galleries, and public schools, private schools, universities for these conversations to happen. And I know that a lot of museums are now getting onto that and are understanding that and then bringing people in, but that just needs to be like common, you know, everywhere. And they need to be very aggressive with that because that's how it works, you know, in order to appeal to the community that I'm pretty sure, you know, museums would want because, you know, more people will come when they're appealing to more people. They need to have and establish those relationships with the teachers, you know. They need to establish those relationships with the teachers so that then they can establish the relationships with the younger kids, you know, many of whom are artists of color who may not have, who may have seen like a white artist their entire, you know, lives. They've, or there's discussion around or centered around white artists, but never centered around artists of color. And so pushing that in that way, and pushing that practice in that way, I think, going forward is really crucial. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I've also been thinking a lot about how um, teaching children the skill of visual analysis and like visual literacy specifically, mm-hmm. too, can kind of open their minds to like the, the to expand like their idea of what can even be considered art. Mm-hmm. So it's like on one hand, they can go to museums and learn about like what we consider to be fine art mm-hmm. but the skills of visual analysis that they, that they learn in museum education mm-hmm. would also be carried to like when they're watching music videos mm-hmm. or television or movies mm-hmm. and there's these ways that once you have this like this vocabulary this visual vocabulary mm-hmm. and this like common grammar to talk about visual culture mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden you look at the world completely differently and even like in your work, when you kind of look at the the visual differences between poverty and wealth in your own community, I think it helps even f- for political reasons, because then it's like all of a sudden you're walking down the street and you see a million dollar luxury apartment building, mm-hmm. and then you see three homeless people outside that building and the optics of it are uncomfortable and you think like wow like this image right here this kind of like mise-en-scene or whatever you want to call it says something I think that for kids to be able to learn how to just like look and just like make their own like uh, just to trust their own vision and kind of have a vocabulary a vocabulary to kind of like unpack that is really important so I think that what you and I are kind of like suggesting that the museum world and the arts world needs 
are like skills that also will um, work outside of the museum context or outside of like the fine arts context. Oh yeah, definitely. And so, you know, speaking about these, this idea of visual analysis and kind of like fine art, I get, I think this is a very crucial question that um, we should probably discuss because, you know, as art has progressed over time, the, the need for being a technician in the arts has decreased, right? And so, you know, there's a, you know, because I, I remember going um, to, I forgot what museum it was, but they had, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure what museum it was. Was it the Art Institute of Chicago? It might, no, I think it was the Whitney. I th- yeah, I believe it was the Whitney Museum. And one of the security guards there was um, saying that, you know, some people when they come into the, the museum and maybe they look at the, you know, abstract expressionist work, you know, they're wondering, you know, oh, you know, a, a child can do this, you know, why is this in a museum, you know, or whether they're looking at, you know, whatever it is, a Jackson Pollock, right? So there's a mm-hmm. lot of confusion in like, you know, our society, you know, outside of kind of like the art world of people, you know, who know the history behind this work of the evolution of art and, uh, you know, what cr- makes something a work of art. And so how do you discuss that? And I think it's very important for us to kind of like talk about that issue. When you're teaching students or whether you're teaching, you know, college students or whatever it is, or when you're speaking to someone who maybe isn't like, you know, in the art world as much as you know we are how do you discuss some of those works with them yeah so i i um when i first started like working in um gallery teaching and museum education i was like absolutely terrified of these moments Mm -hmm. because it's like what do you do if the kids or the adults who are looking like Mm -hmm. are just the art is not resonating with them Mm -hmm. So I just have a, a few, like, strategies that I use. One is I think that a lot of people um, are just, like, kind of geared to just kind of, like, walk by, like, a bunch of different works in the museum and not actually take a lot of time to, like, really do a close look in. Mm-hmm. So I usually encourage um, the people I'm showing around a museum to just, like, spend a few minutes just, like, staring and then usually people who, like, sit there and, like, look for longer tend to be, like, well, this kind of looks like, um, like, spilled milk, or this kind of looks like, <laughs> or maybe the artist was dancing around. I mean, because you mentioned Pollock, maybe the artist was basically dancing around a canvas while <laughs> inflicting paint, and maybe that's kind of cool to do or might feel kind of liberating. And I think that it's just, like, giving people like, the confidence to have something to say about it. Because I think a lot of people, um, the reactions of people are just like, yeah, I don't really like this a kid could do. It's often because, like, there's this idea that, like, if you don't know the history of it, then you shouldn't say anything. Mm -hmm. But I think the abstract works are a really, really good place for, like, folks who don't know art history to Mm -hmm. kind of, like, do a little bit of, like, um, imagining of, like, what this could be or, like, how it was made. Definitely. And I think that that's really exciting, too, because um, it's like, it's getting you to, like, gesture, too. I think a lot of people, like, read, like, realist paintings, like, very photographically, and they just want it to give them all the information at once. Mm-hmm. But with abstract works, you really have to sit with it and think, mm-hmm. like, are there any hidden images here? Is this just a... Comp- how many layers 
size of paint? What is the mm-hmm. texture? Like all these different questions that you kind of just have to sit with it, mm-hmm. sit with. And often like, I also might not know, like, any, especially since I'm not an artist, I might not understand how it's made too. So mm-hmm. it's a good entry point for my students and I to kind of like work to, to like work together collaboratively mm-hmm. to like figure out what's being mm-hmm. what's being rendered here. I think it's it's definitely a challenge, but I'm always up for the challenge mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I think it's really important to like um, also recognize that like Black artists have always like been making abstract work outside of like the like iconic like lynching paintings or like kind of street photography in Harlem and these kind of like um or even like beard and collages like we're used to seeing in these kind of like traditional African-American um civil rights era like realist like photographs and paintings but it's really exciting to see how like black artists who have always been kind of making these like really just experimental and funky and totally confusing and like awful yes, wacky definitely. works and paintings and getting to like figure that out I think is also doing something important for like for black art specifically because often black artists get like kind of like stuck in the specific narrative mm-hmm. and there it's often hard for them to like get the same amount of publicity if they're not making these like realist works. Mm-hmm. And definitely, you know, kind of like considering, you know, that idea of, you know, you have to make, you know, a portrait or, you know, you have to make this look, you know, representation will kind of get played. And that's why I think um, my work delved so deeply into institutionalized discrimination because you were, you know, speaking about kind of like looking at art and, you know, a lot of times, whether, you know, it's a photorealistic work, we could kind of like get the idea from just looking at it. But I wanted my work to be able to talk about some of the things that we can't see. And I think that the beauty of art is that when you're able to push the limits and push the boundaries of what you're able to show, there's a lot of rich discussion that can be had. Because, you know, yes, it might be an abstract expressionist painting, but at the same time, because you're not able to maybe see it right away, depending on how much training you've had as, you know, in art history, you're able to have that rich discussion with that other person and be able, you're able to see, you know, some perspectives that you might not have understood before and you're able to question it, you know? And I think that that, that specific type of art allows itself to be questioned and for that rich um, conversation and discussion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so uh, when I was actually thinking about, you know, this idea of institutionalized discrimination, um, one of the, reasons that I was so in you know obsessed almost with you know this idea of institutions was just looking at my own neighborhood I currently live in um, Orange New Jersey which is one of the lowest socioeconomic areas in New Jersey and I was thinking you know I've always been thinking about how I could push my art beyond the aesthetic and I just thought about the idea of redlining because I was reading an article by ta Coates that was called the case for reparations, where he outlined the case for reparations for black people out of the specter of redlining that happened in Chicago. And that's a system of discrimination that the government um, impact, imparted upon you know, people of color you know, in those neighborhoods, which made it very hard for African-Americans to be able to get home loans because the government wasn't willing 
to allow the banks to give them home loans because the idea of being black was seen as suspect and you were seen as not worthy at the time. And even though the Civil Rights Act of 1964 took that away, the institutional policy still compounded to this day. While, you know, while we know, you know, from statistics, I was watching a Vox video recently that the wealth gap between white households and black households is enormous. Um, and so when you're kind of like thinking, when I was thinking about this idea of institutions, I was trying, I was really trying to, you know, wrestle with that idea and I really <laughs> wanted to apply it to my art. And so that's the reason why I focus, that's the reason why my focus as an artist is using these ideas of visual repetition to illuminate some form of institutionalized discrimination. And so recently I've done work dealing with houses and repeating houses over and over again, you know, in both redlined communities and in neighborhoods that haven't been redlined, you know, just to kind of like show that proximity between the two and how close these neighborhoods can exist to each other. And currently I'm doing a project dealing with food deserts, which focuses on that same concept. And so that idea of institutions has really grabbed me. And I'll be doing work on later on dealing with um, portraiture and how institutions affect the black body itself or the black humanity itself. But just exploring that area has a lot of rich content because we know from the history of this country um, there has been a lot that hasn't been afforded to people of color. And so as an artist, I wanted to kind of take that chance to explore some of these issues. And so if you're interested in seeing, you know, some of my work or what I'm doing, you could always go to kirkmaynardart.com and you'll be able to see the progress and the progression of my work. Alexandra, did you want to um, add anything about your work or if you have a website? Yeah, so I actually, um, I like the, since I'm kind of a, I think I like the idea of ending on yours, just because you have, like, actual work to, <laughs> to share, you know, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no problem, thanks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, I think that you should get the, I feel, like, kind of grateful that you wanted to be in dialogue with an art historian, Yeah, because <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I think that often, like, there's not a lot of collaboration between artists and art historians, surprisingly. So I just feel really grateful. So I, I don't really have anything else to add um, about myself. Well, it was wonderful being in dialogue with you. <laughs> yes, it was so great. Thank you, Bobby, for um, having this, like, mm -hmm. opportunity for us. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you for doing this wonderful conversation. And... Like I said again, um, share this, and we will put this and have it online as soon as we can. So All thank right. you so much. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Have a nice night. All right. Thank see you guys you. later. Bye. Bye.